It's Monday, so we're checking in with video game release highlights for the week. Tuesday, May 23rd, tomorrow, sees the release of a couple of older games, both from 2015, both coming to Nintendo consoles for the first time. Disgaea 5 Complete is going to land on Nintendo Switch. This is the big role-playing game uh, that was released in 2015 on other platforms, is now... Going to be on the Switch, so you got something big to play on your Switch if you're still waiting for some more content for that console. And Darksiders War Mastered Edition is coming to Wii U, so dust off your Wii U if you still want to play something on that. Great game. I'm a huge fan of the Darksiders franchise. War Mastered Edition has already been available for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, but if you're a Wii U owner, definitely worth playing through this one. PlayStation 4 on Tuesday is getting the beautiful-looking platformer, Embers of Miram. This is uh, a creature, a side-scrolling platformer, a creature that has two sides, two essences, and can split them apart to solve puzzles. You control them independently using the left and right sticks. Really, really beautiful art style in this one. Definitely one I'm interested in checking out. Also on PlayStation 4, Utawa Reramono. It's not a game about Ray Romano, uh, even though everybody loves Raymond. Uh, this is a Japanese uh, visual novel that is coming to uh, PlayStation 4. Uh, looks pretty interesting, beautiful anime art style. It's releasing tomorrow as well. Then on Friday, May 26th, we have a couple of big high-profile releases as well. Switch owners will get to battle it out with Ultra Street Fighter 2. The Final Challengers. Something tells me these aren't actually the Final Challengers, but Ultra Street Fighter 2 is a remake update port of Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo all the way back from 1994. It features the game's original graphic style as well as an updated high-definition repass on, on the graphics. And it's got all of the original characters from the game as well as two additional new characters evil ryu and violent ken they've been added to the game's roster online play local co-op on switch it's a way to play street fighter using the teeniest tiniest controller you've ever seen (laughs) if you're interested in that one it's coming friday may 26th on switch also friday may 26th It's not the 13th, but it will be this time. It's, you know, it's double the 13th. Let's just say that. Friday the 13th, the game is coming out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. This is a game I have been keeping my eye on for a while. In fact, Adam Sessler, the uh, host of X-Play on G4 back in the day, has been involved uh, a great deal in in the fundraising and promotion and production of Friday the 13th, the game. He will actually be on my long-form show today on DLC. You can listen to him. He'll be talking about Friday the 13th, the game, as well as lots of other stuff. If you want to tune into that, go to 5x5.tv slash DLC. But I can tell you Friday the 13th, the game looks really interesting. It is a, 
an asymmetrical multiplayer experience where one player gets to play as Jason Voorhees and everybody else is playing camp counselors at the uh, at the camp where Jason Voorhees is terrorizing everybody. They're trying to survive as long as they can using resources and trying to be clever, putting objects together and you know battening down the hatches and creating safe spaces for them to hole up in while the player playing Jason is methodically hunting them down and trying to murder them in gruesome and creative ways. It's a really interesting concept. It's very faithful to the film series. The graphics look look really cool. There's every variation of Jason that's ever appeared in the movies, as well as a whole bunch of customizable camp counselors for you to play as. I'm really curious to see how this one turned out after the successful Kickstarter campaign Way back in 2015, it had a bunch of delays, but it's finally coming out this Friday, the 26th. So that's the big highlights for your game releases this week. Tell me what you're playing. I'd love to know what you're excited about, what you're plunking down your hard-earned cash to play this week. You can tell me on Twitter or send a call-in to this very station. Surprising absolutely no one. Rockstar Games announced today that Red Dead Redemption 2 is delayed. They had originally set the game for release this fall. We thought it was going to be the biggest game of the end of 2017. It was the game to beat for all of the fall releases. Not anymore. Red Dead Redemption 2 has been delayed not just until the beginning of 2018, all the way to spring of 2018. So it's a year from now. We have a year longer to wait for Red Dead Redemption 2. The announcement is con- uh, is accompanied by a whole bunch of new Red Dead Redemption 2 screenshots. And my goodness, are they gorgeous. Makes the wait all that much harder. Uh, shots of uh, stagecoaches on planes. Shots of deep forests with sun-dappled vegetation and cowboys on horseback shots of smokestacks billowing out of uh, out of trains crossing bridges uh, nighttime in a saloon high detailed weapons and ornamentation ornamentation on characters just beautiful beautiful stuff it's certainly going to be a huge game whenever it's released rockstar games don't have to conform to your silly conception of uh, <laughs> when sales are best Grand Theft Auto V proved that. All of their games proved that. They are going to sell boatloads of this thing, no matter what. And I'm one of those people that says, delay it until it's right. Put it out. Make it great. Don't rush things. I just don't understand why they ever even put their flag in the ground and say a release date when it's always going to change. It always changes. No one expected Red Dead to actually hit this fall. We were all saying, well, if Red Dead actually hits their date... No, they're not. It's coming out in the spring. So, does that change things for you? It certainly changes things for the industry. It opens up this fall window for sales. I think Destiny 2 now, sitting at September 8th, is going to be a a big, big game for the fall. It's going to be interesting to see what E3 has in store as far as other big fall games. If there's stuff that we don't know about, certainly... Uh, Xbox Scorpio is going to be a big fall release, and uh, we hope that Mario Odyssey on the Switch doesn't get delayed. That will be a huge fall release. What else? What else are we going to see this year now that Red Dead has 
moved out of that big fall release window, I think it's going to open up potential sales for a bunch of games. This was going to be the big Christmas present for a lot of people. That that hole, that vast <laughs> that vast hole needs to be filled by another game, so uh, or games. So it's an opportunity for a lot of publishers. We'll see what happens. E3, of course, in just a few weeks will give us a much better idea of what fall 2017 is going to look like. We talked a little bit yesterday about the announced delay of Red Dead Redemption 2 from Rockstar Games, and news today puts that in a little bit better context. We understand why that's a big deal slash a little deal. And it's because Take-Two, the parent company of Rockstar Games, announced that GTA V, the previous Rockstar Games release, the most recent, has now shipped 80 million units in its lifetime. It's a game that came out four years ago. It still lands on the top five of uh, the NPDs, the, the official sales reporting service. 80 million copies of GTA V have been shipped. Now, that's not a sell-through number. But it's darn close. Uh, that is an astounding number. A million seller is a pretty darn good gaming hit. Five million is just astounding. 80 million copies of Grand Theft Auto V. That is astounding. That is why when Red Dead Redemption 2 was uh, delayed, the announcement was released of the delay, the stock price for Take 2 dropped. Uh, it has recovered a bit, but this is big business. This is a massive revenue stream. Rockstar's releases, they are not frequent, but they have incredible staying power and they represent a huge portion of revenues for that company. So when you see Red Dead Redemption 2 being delayed, first of all, they have the money to wait. They have the money to hang on and make sure that game is going to live up to that incredible precedent and can actually sell those kinds of numbers. But secondly, it's a big deal. (laughs) Delaying a game that has that kind of potential has a major effect on the bottom line of a company, and it isn't something that is easily easily done. So I think that when a company announces uh, a release date for Red Dead Redemption 2, when Rockstar does that, it's... You know, you know, I, he, people like me sit around and go, oh, why did they even announce the release date? We all knew it was going to be delayed. These are forces larger than just a developer deciding to share with its fans when the next game is going to be released. Much bigger things are at play here. Huge companies, stock prices, investors, these are all considerations. They want to know when that next big Rockstar release is going to come. And I'm sure there's a lot of pressure to announce a release date before they're certain. And certainly, uh, the delay is evidence of that. I think being able to delay it is, is huge. means that they still retain creative control and can dictate those things. It does affect the investors. It affects, it affects the market for that company. But... Ultimately, I think it's going to be a good thing, but it certainly isn't a decision that is uh, taken on frivolously. It has big, big ramifications. So I think that's something that we all, as fans, as game hobbyists, as people who are excited about these games, have to keep in mind. 
This is not some thing where they're just messing with their fan base by announcing a day. These are these are big, big decisions. I had a chance to play the new Reservoir Dogs video game, Reservoir Dogs Bloody Days. This is a game that is ostensibly based on the 1992 film, one of my favorite films ever, the, game, the uh, film that really put Quentin Tarantino on the map. It had a huge effect on me as a young film fan, a young cinephile. It really kind of turned me into a cinephile in a lot of ways. And it seems like a kind of an odd thing to finally get a video game. Now, I think there may have been another video game in the PlayStation 2 era based on Reservoir Dogs. But here we are in 2017. It's not like a lot of people are clamoring for a Reservoir Dogs game. But being a fan of the property, I still went in uh, really excited. The idea here is that Reservoir Dogs, the video game, Bloody Days, that is, uh, is a top-down shooter slash puzzle game. You are uh, conducting a series of heists using the characters from Reservoir Dogs, Mr. White, Mr. Brown, Mr. Pink, Mr. Blonde. The crew from Reservoir Dogs are at your disposal, and you constitute a two-man team to take down different locations. You're going to go into a jewelry store and steal the jewelry. You're going to go into a bank. You're going to stick up the bank. It's a shooter in the sense that you're blasting civilians and police officers and uh, gory, bloody sprays of bullets. But the the hook is you've, you control these two characters and you control them one at a time. The first character you control starts a ticking clock, and it records all of the actions you do. So you can go from place to place. You can stick up characters and take their money. You can go to little nodes in the game world and steal the money from cash registers or jewelry boxes. Uh, and you can kill people, and you're trying to get from place to place and finish this heist. Once you have gotten as far as you want to go or your character dies... You then switch to the other character who you control alongside the recorded actions of the first character. So you're setting up a time frame in the first play with the first character, and you're playing alongside those recorded actions with the second character. So it's kind of a puzzle. You're trying to do things in the shortest amount of time possible. You're trying to create situations where one character helps the other, and you kind of get graded for style points as well. But ultimately, none of this has much to do with the movie. Uh, It seems kind of odd. Obviously, the movie Reservoir Dogs is about the aftermath of a botched heist, and ostensibly these characters are experienced thieves who've done this a lot of times, so I guess Bloody Days is showing you all the other times when they've done this, except in the movie, it's the first time any of them are meeting one another, whatever. The game doesn't have the likenesses of any of the actors from the film. In fact, the caricatures, the hand-drawn caricatures of all the characters don't even resemble the actors in, in any way. It's only the loosest kind of association to how those characters are portrayed in the film. Worse than that, the music in the game is meant to evoke... Reservoir Dogs music, that iconic Tarantino soundtrack of all that crazy old pop music that he he leverages to amazing effect in the movie, like Stuck in the Middle with You and and all that stuff. That music is not licensed for this game, but they had somebody try to create music that kind of evokes those songs that are similar but not 
too similar to be sued. So it's, the whole endeavor feels very janky and a little bit, I don't know, it's underwhelming. It would be all fine if the central puzzle mechanic and shooting was great, but the animations are stilted, everything's a little clunky, you blast characters and they explode into guts and you never really have a sense of uh, having any kind of flow to anything. The whole game it was was a big disappointment to me. It seems like an odd thing to, for them to be doing. It seems like they had this IP, like Lionsgate went, oh, well, we have the rights to this. Why doesn't somebody make a game? And they cobbled this together in a short period of time. It just really let me down, and uh, I can't recommend it to anybody, especially people who are fans of the film like I was, because I think this kind of... It kind of, I wouldn't say ruins the movie, but it certainly doesn't do it any favors. Stick to watching Reservoir Dogs, understand that it's a genre movie and not a shooter, and skip the game. It's time for a call-in now. This comes from Eric, uh, who's always a great caller. He's very excited about the Friday the 13th game that comes out this Friday the 26th. I had Adam Sessler on my show DLC this week talking about it. And here's what Eric had to say in his anticipation for that game and that franchise. Hey, Jeff Kanata, this is Eric from EFP Designs. I am so excited for Friday the 13th. I remember Sessler talking about it, and more than that, I am a huge Jason fan. Pretty sure somewhere I have a bracelet that says Jason is my co-pilot. In all seriousness, now, um, I remember the old Friday the 13th TV series with the old Curiosity Shop where they're collecting all the cursed items. And I know that's not this, but that's just to show how much I love that franchise. It's one of my favorite slasher flicks, and I feel this is going to have the kind of touch that Left 4 Dead did, along with some of the other ones where you play the murderers right now, chasing people at a camp. But we get our iconic character back. Birds in the background right now. Apologize for that. Keep on the good work, man. I'll be listening to DLC. Have a good one. Thanks for the call in, Eric. Friday the 13th was never really my jam. I uh, wasn't really into the slasher flicks, but I can totally respect that and totally love the fact that you're this excited. For me, it was always Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm still hoping there's a really cool Nightmare on Elm Street video game idea somewhere. I think that could be really, really cool. Uh, of course, Freddy has a much larger palette at his disposal. It's not just gruesome kills. It's, you know, reality-bending nonsense. So you could probably go a lot farther with a video game in that sense. And I think, um, I think that would be cool. Maybe if this Friday the 13th game goes well, sells well, does gangbusters, we'll see uh, more of these kinds of things. But I have to say, having not played Friday the 13th, the game, yet, I hope to do that when it comes out on Friday, I think they pretty much nailed what you would want out of a Friday the 13th game. Uh, talking to Adam on my show DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC this week. Uh, Adam Sessler from X-Play and Rev3 Games uh, has been involved throughout the entire process of them making Friday the 13th the game. And he talks about the love that the design team had for this franchise. And he certainly has uh, a lot of love and care like you do, Eric, for... Jason and his exploits, and he says that there was such a level of detail that that the, the the designers watched those movies and recreated faithfully the locations, and then in areas of the world that you don't see in the movies that they just kind of you know walk by, 
the designers got to actually build out those those moments, those places, those camp areas from the films. And they had such a joy making it authentic and making it feel like a real place. So I think the game has a lot of promise and it certainly has a lot of passion behind it. I'm, I'm excited that you're excited, Eric, and I, I'm looking forward to playing it myself. Thanks for the call in. Uh, you can send those using the Anchor app. It's really easy and it's a lot of fun. I love getting them. Anything you want to bring up, talk about, or respond to from the show is welcome there. You can also reach me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's time to get excited about E3. It's right around the corner. We're stoking up that E3 hype train and getting getting ready for the biggest week in the video game industry. It's going to be a very interesting year this year. But all this week, I'm going to spend some time getting you amped for E3, even as I get amped for E3. We're going to look at several of the companies that will be there. We're going to try to figure out what we can expect, what we can be excited for, maybe make some speculation on what might happen. And let's start today with Sony. PlayStation 4, PlayStation 4 Pro, PlayStation VR. Probably not really Vita, (laughs) but maybe there'll be some crazy, wacky Vita 2 announcement. What can we expect? What do we know going into E3? Well, we know that Uncharted, The Lost Legacy, will be there. This is the first Uncharted game without a Nathan Drake, without a Drake, without a Sully. Uh, Although they may, who knows, they may show up as side characters. But this is not focused on them. It is actually going to be focused on Chloe and Nadine. And this was originally slated to be simply an expansion, a single-player expansion to Uncharted 4. But now it's going to be a full-fledged, standalone game in its own right. There's so much content that it's going to actually be priced higher than an expansion I think it's going to be $40. Uh, It's going to be a big full game, and it will be in full effect at E3. We'll also see more about the Insomniac Spider-Man game that's happening that's exclusive to PlayStation 4. I am super excited about this Spider-Man game. Fan of what Insomniac does, and I think putting Spider-Man in the hands of that developer is brilliant. Uh, Ratchet and Clank is close to a Spider-Man game in a lot of sense, uh, and I just think these guys are going to knock it out of the park. I hope this is a 2017 fall release game. I fear it is a 2018 game, but I can't wait to get my hands on or at least see more of what this Spider-Man game is going to look like. Also, we know that Days Gone will be there. Days Gone is the game they showed last year, the zombie game that featured the... uh, World War Z film-esque sea of zombies that are fast-moving and undulating and insane. We'll see more of that game, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm hoping we'll see lots more of God of War. God of War looked so incredible last year. Hopefully that game is further along. Maybe will be a surprise announcement for this fall as well, although I suspect it is also a 2018 game. Detroit Become Human, the new David Cage game. Uh, had a big presence at last year's E3. Uh, It'll likely be in Sony's booth as well. And Dreams, the new Media Molecule crazy canvas game. You can create anything and tell stories. That game we'll probably see more of as well. One thing I think we will not see is The Last of Us 2. That game is way far off, and I suspect that the fact that they just announced that it's happening 
uh, means that there probably won't be much more update about that game. Knack 2, we know that's happening. I know a lot of people slag on the first Knack. I really thought it was a pretty good game, and I expect Knack 2 to be even better. So I'm hoping to see more of Knack 2. Gran Turismo Sport, I think that's gonna ga- a game that's going to be coming out this year. We should expect to see that from Sony as well. But what about the things we don't know about? Will there be more PlayStation VR titles? Right now, we've kind of gotten to the end of the line of stuff we know is coming for PlayStation VR, but we also know that Sony has been selling a lot more units than they anticipated. So I think we can expect some interesting announcements in that area. I'm really hoping they surprise people and show some big AAA games from some in-house studios, some first-party studios working on exciting stuff for PlayStation VR. That's really the thing I'm most anticipating, that and God of War. What else could Sony be talking about? We know that Sucker Punch is working on a new game, and rumor has it it's a brand-new IP. This is the uh, developer that made Infamous. I think Infamous Second Son is woefully underrated, one of the best PlayStation 4 games still available. I hope to see something from them. What are you guys looking for from Sony? What, what do you hope that they bring? More than what we know? Some surprises? Will Final Fantasy VII Remake be there? What could knock your socks off from Sony? I'd love to hear it. If you send me a call-in or talk to me on Twitter, are you excited for E3 from Sony? Tomorrow we'll be talking about Microsoft, then Nintendo, and beyond. It's going to be a fun week. Get excited for E3. All right, guys, I need to tell you about my new obsession. A new game has gotten under my skin. It has, it's that thing that I'm always looking for. It's that game that I think about when I'm not playing it. It's that game that keeps me coming back for more, that makes me want to play one more before I go to bed. And all of a sudden it's two, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm staying up late. My controller is sweaty. I just want to keep playing it. That game for me right now is Dead Cells. Oh my gosh. If you have been listening to my work for a while, you know that a few years ago, I went kind of bananas over a game called Rogue Legacy. It was my game of the year that year. It's a game that I absolutely adore and still do. It was the perfect mix of tight platforming and wonderful roguelike stakes. It was a game where you had to play well, but even in death, even in the repetitiveness of going back into the same dungeons over and over, they changed, they were procedurally generated, but you got new stuff, you got to level up, you got to change things up, you played your descendants, and it and it kept the game fresh and not frustrating even though you would I was dying over and over. That same level of excitement and compulsion I have found once again. There's been a lot of contenders to the throne, to the roguelike platforming throne since, but I haven't gotten that crazy itch to keep playing something like Rogue Legacy until now. And that game is Dead Cells. It's a game from Motion Twin. It's still in early access right now on Steam. It's only available for PC on Steam right now. And it is not a complete game. There are still some bugs to be worked out. It is not in a completely finished state. But it's still worth your dollar right now. I am in love with this game. It has got a wonderfully sharp pixel graphics art style. I know that that 
art style in the indie community is is maybe getting a little stale at this point, but Dead Cells really is beautiful. The animation is fluid and interesting. And you are a, an undead guy whose cells continue to reproduce even after death, and you're plugging away, jumping back into the same Metroidvania-esque level dungeons after you die, time after time, and you are killing enemies and collecting their essence, their souls, which you can then trade in to buy and upgrade new weapons. You have to find blueprints as you go through the dungeon to get these weapons, but then you can invest souls in upgrading them and getting better stuff as you go along. The souls are acquired only through defeating enemies. So you get really awesome weaponry. You get new abilities and magical effects as you go. And those can persist through death by investing in this purchasing system with the souls. But you can only buy the things at the end of levels. So as you're going along through the very challenging dungeons, fighting these enemies you have the potential of losing everything if you die before you get to the end of the level. So there's a wonderful roguelike risk-reward. The levels, again, here are procedurally generated, so you're going to be plugging away at the same few dungeons. There's only, I think, 11 at the moment, but there will be more as the game continues through its early access period. But each the layouts change each time you die and go back in. I can tell you that the fighting system in this game is sublime. You have a few abilities. You can jump, obviously. You can dash. You can roll. And you've, you acquire these new weapons, and each of them behaves differently. And they start to have wonderful combinations of working together with your special abilities. And you get extraordinarily powerful, and it changes up how you play the game. And it's so tight, all of the precise jumps that you have to make and all of the wonderful different enemies that are coming at you from different directions and with different abilities. It is a very skill-heavy game in the vein of Spelunky or Super Meat Boy, and it is unforgiving like those games, but it does the Rogue Legacy thing where even in death, even as it punishes you with its difficulty, you are constantly getting new things and constantly powering up. So it mitigates any frustration because your time investment is appreciated and rewarded. I can't recommend this game highly enough. I am super hooked on it. You're going to hear me talking about it a lot over the next few weeks because I'm going to be playing it. We're talking about E3 2017 all week long because it's right around the corner. And every day this week, I'm highlighting a different publisher. And we're talking about what we might expect, what we can hope for from E3. I'd love to hear your feedback about what you're looking at, what you're looking forward to, and what you're holding your breath for. (laughs) Today I'm talking about Microsoft. I think Microsoft this year is in the most interesting position. They're clearly lagging behind Sony on sales, on exclusives, and they've got this big heralded Scorpio revision to the Xbox One hardware that they're going to be rolling out at E3. This is a big deal. This is asking people to jump on to their ecosystem, get behind a new version of their hardware that's probably going to be real expensive and is definitely going to be real powerful. So they have a big responsibility here. They have a big job to bring reasons to buy Scorpio. I want to know what that hardware is all about. What's it going to look like? How big is it going to be? What's it going to cost 
They got to they gotta answer all those questions. They can't put them off. And what are the reasons to get it? Is it just prettier on my 4K TV? Because I think PlayStation 4 Pro has proved that's not a super compelling reason in and of itself. I mean, I love my PlayStation 4 Pro, but I wish that the power in that box was leveraged to more than just upscaling. I want the beefy, beefy Xbox One Scorpio specs to be used to their fullest. I want to see games. And I think Microsoft, up to this point, Phil Spencer has been very vocal about how they know they need to bring exclusive games. That's Sony is just crushing them with exclusives this year so far. And hopefully the reason for that is because Microsoft has been holding stuff back for Scorpio. We know Crackdown 3 is happening. Crackdown 3 could be a real system seller for Scorpio if they do it right. I love that first Crackdown game. I am so excited for Crackdown 3. I hope it's a launch title for Scorpio. I hope it blows the doors off and shows people what that system is capable of and really recaptures that fun exploration, grab all the orbs stuff that the first Crackdown featured. And from last year's E3, we also know they have Sea of Thieves coming from Rare and State of Decay 2, the sequel to the 2013 survival horror game. But neither of those titles, I think, for me at least, is a system seller. Those aren't enough. So what do they have? It's not going to be a Halo. Uh, We were too early for a Halo revision, I think. We're not going to get a Gears of War. We just had a Gears of War. So what is it? What does Microsoft have up their sleeve? What can they possibly bring that gets people excited? It has to be some first-party stuff. Forza Horizon 3 is killing it right now, so will there be a new Forza game? Probably not. Maybe there's a new mainline Forza that's teased. Seems a little odd with Forza Horizon 3 just doing so well on the downloadable content front. But maybe we will see a new Forza. Maybe we will see a new Halo. Or at least teasers for them. But there has to be something launching with Scorpio. There has to be something big. What if there's a new Fable? We haven't seen anything from Fable in a long time, and we know Lionhead got shuttered. But maybe somebody's working on that IP. Microsoft still owns it. Here's what I think and what I'm kind of hoping for. I think that Microsoft makes a play with the power of Scorpio for the VR space. We see that PlayStation VR is selling really well. I know I'm a homer for VR. I love it. I do think it's a system seller. But if Microsoft combines with Oculus, we know they have a relationship there. All of the Oculus Rift headsets shipped with Xbox-compatible controllers. So we know there's a relationship there. What if they say all existing Rifts work with Xbox Scorpio, and in addition to that, there's a bundle of Xbox One Scorpio that includes a Rift, and every game that has come out for Rift automatically works on Scorpio, and here's a bunch of new games as well. I think that could be really cool. I I think that could nip the momentum of PlayStation VR in the bud a bit because the Oculus hardware is so superior to the PlayStation hardware in as far as performance goes. Comfort, maybe not as much. I'm hoping that that's the play that Microsoft makes, but I recognize they also need games. I think we're going to see some new IP. I think we're going to see some stuff that they've been working on that they've been holding back on. But what do you think? What would you like to see from Microsoft? Let me know. This morning, Microsoft announced that they are stepping up their game in the video game streaming department. 
Everybody seems to think that's the future. Twitch, YouTube are currently, of course, the big players. But Microsoft has been streaming using a service called Beam. I got to be honest, I do this for a living and I wasn't familiar with Beam. So the fact that today they announced they are rebranding, they're going to be calling the service Mixer from now on, and it's going to come out with a slew of new features, I think is probably a pretty smart choice because at least I'm aware of the service now. <laughs> Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. But Microsoft wants Mixer to be the premier video game streaming service going forward. They are going to be streaming their press conference that we just talked about uh, at E3 using Mixer. And it's got some interesting features. They say that latency is much lower than on Twitch or YouTube. They have a mobile app. Uh, they have integration with Xbox One and Windows PC. And they have a feature called co-streaming which lets you stream uh, a variety of different players on the same team in the same game and gives the end user the ability to switch between views themselves. So if you're watching a game of Overwatch, for example, and you want to look at the different team members as they play, you're not just stuck on one player whose stream you've subscribed to. You can watch that player's game from any perspective of any player on their team. Sounds like a pretty slick feature. We'll see if Mixer makes a splash or continues to pay, play third fiddle to... Oh, that's my baby in the background. <laughs> he wants to be on the show. Play continues to play third fiddle to YouTube and Twitch. Next up is a call-in. This comes from Tim. He wants to talk about E3. We're getting amped all this week. And yesterday, I ran down my thoughts about Sony, and he thinks I left something out. Hey, Jeff. Great synopsis of the... Uh Sony stuff that's going to happen at E3 this year. Uh, I definitely agree. I definitely think they're going to kick butt at E3 this year, just like they had the last couple of years. I am surprised, unless I uh, totally missed this on your uh, on your show there, that uh, God of War was not mentioned too as a as a key Sony title that's coming up here. Uh, they kicked off last year's E3 in grand fashion with the orchestra and the and the demo showing off. Uh, what they're going to do, do with Kratos and company. Uh, I got a feeling they're going to show one more big epic boss battle in this uh, E3 coming up with the potential of uh, release dates to, to show as well. Uh, I feel like it's time, probably thinking like uh, early in the spring 2018 to release. It feels like that's the right timing for a game like this, so it's not lost in the shuffle of the, all the other holiday releases. So uh, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen, and that's a, that's a game I'm definitely excited for too. Thanks, Tim. I could have sworn I mentioned God of War. I'm certainly excited for it. Uh, I came away last year from E3 so amped on that game. It looks mature and interesting. What a wonderful take on a franchise that's known for being immature and over the top. This is grounded and realistic and heartfelt and it feels like something that comes from a much more interesting place than any of the previous God of Wars. I mean, I'm a fan of those games. They were very fun. They, I think, ushered in an entirely new kind of action game, over-the-top boss battles. QTEs really kind of became popular because of that game. But to see what the Santa Monica Sony studio is doing with this God of War is really, really exciting. And I hope we get more of it. I can tell you, I do have a meeting scheduled to see God of War in their behind the closed doors uh, theater presentation, 
which kind of makes me a little bit nervous that it isn't a 2017 game. If they're still doing theater presentation, that generally means hands-off, and that generally means that the game is farther away than this calendar year. Last year, there was also a hands-off God of War demo that blew me away, but they had hands-on with Horizon Zero Dawn, and that game still wasn't in the same calendar year. That game still got pushed into the early part of 2017. So that kind of leads me to believe, and this is all speculation, obviously, because I don't know firsthand. We may have playable God of War stations at the Sony booth. There may be a surprise announcement that is coming this holiday. They certainly don't really have anything huge on the horizon, uh, no pun intended, for this calendar year. But if I had to wager, I'd say that God of War isn't a 2017 game. It's more a 2018 game. Still, I'm very excited to see more. And I think, Tim, that you're correct we are likely to see uh, a much bigger moment. We got that context last year of the father and daughter, excuse me, father and son uh, relationship that that um, her, that God of War is going to be re- reinforcing. So I think we're going to now see a larger, more epic level encounter, and and I'm certainly excited to see how they handle that. I think epic level encounter, even though that last trailer last year kind of showed something big, I think scale is always a part of God of War, and doing it through the lens of this kind of grounded, interesting father-son dynamic, I think is going to be really fascinating to see how they pull that off. But I wonder... Because Horizon's first, uh, you know, tutorial levels, its its first hour, I'd say, maybe less, is along the lines of what we see with God of War. I wonder if the wow factor is going to be dulled slightly. I don't know. I still think it's more interesting to be playing. You know, a lot of these games like Horizon start you off as a young kid and you mature. And it was very effective at the beginning of Horizon Zero Dawn. Very, very effective. I loved seeing how Aloy came into her own and how she matured. That was really a cool way to start the game. But flipping it on its head and doing it as the mentor to the young kid, I don't think a game has done that before. So still, maybe it will be different enough that it will still have a big impact. But yes... We very nearly gave God of War our game of the show for DLC last year, and we ended up going with Horizon Zero Dawn specifically because we could play it, and we had no hands-on with God of War. We felt that gave the edge to Horizon, and I certainly don't regret that one bit. Horizon, I think, is still my game of the year for this year, so it proved to be a worthy recipient of our E3 game of the year. So will God of War be the frontrunner for game of the year this year? I'm certainly excited to find out. All week long, we've been getting you amped for E3, which is right around the corner, talking about what we can expect from specific publishers and what there is that maybe we don't know. Today, we're talking about Nintendo. Now, Nintendo in recent years has taken a big step back from E3. In years gone by, they used to have a big press conference, just like Sony and Microsoft did, where they would trot out their big plans for the year ahead. No longer. Now it is a Nintendo Direct and Nintendo Treehouse presentations. Last year, it was even stranger because they had a big show floor presence, but that presence was entirely dominated by one game, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. 
It turned out to be a pretty smart strategy. I think a lot of us going in were pretty skeptical about Nintendo only bringing basically one game to E3, but they did such an incredible job of showcasing that game, building a real Disneyland-esque wonderland themed around Breath of the Wild and letting people have hands-on with Breath of the Wild. It had some of the longest lines in the entire convention hall. So will Nintendo repeat that this year? We know their big fall game, if it remains a fall game, is Super Mario Odyssey, the big Nintendo Switch installment of the Mario franchise. So could they do that again? Could they just basically focus on one game? Well, it was a different landscape back then for Nintendo. We still didn't know about the Switch. They hadn't announced it at E3 last year. And when many of us expected them to announce it at E3, they held off and waited for their own private event later on. And so they didn't have anything else in the pipeline for Wii U. Nintendo knew that Zelda was coming out for Wii U and Switch, so it made sense to just kind of focus on that one game. Now they've got this spanking new console sitting around. They are selling like hotcakes, so they don't have to worry about juicing it, but it certainly would make more sense to kind of show people more than just one game for that shiny new console. So I suspect we'll see more than just Mario Odyssey. Of course, there'll be a big focus on Mario Odyssey, and I'm very much excited to see what that game has to offer. So far, the trailer that they've released is pretty crazy. I, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little skeptical about Mario running around in the real world, but certainly those first-party Nintendo developers know what they're doing. They bring the quality as... Zelda Breath of the Wild proved, even when they switch things up and try something completely new, they set a really high bar for the game industry. And I think we're going to see this Mario really surprise people and do some interesting new things. I mean, he's got that weird hat with eyeballs, playable hat from Mario. What's that about? But I also think Nintendo will be more than just a one-trick pony this year. There are rumors about a Super Smash Brothers on Switch. Maybe we'll see... That. Maybe we'll see more indie titles on Switch. I think they're making a big push for having Switch be the home of indie titles, and certainly I would be very excited to see some of my favorite indie titles on Switch. My love for Dead Cells now makes me wish I could take that game with me, and the portability of Switch makes it a wonderful home for games like Spelunky and and a lot of the other daily grind, uh, infinite replayability games that the indie scene thrives on. So maybe we'll see more emphasis on that. From first-party Nintendo, is there a Donkey Kong? Is there a Metroid? Every single year at E3 we say, Nintendo, are you bringing the Metroid? Are we going to be able to find a Metroid? Is this the year that we actually get at least a teaser for a Metroid? Will the Nintendo Direct focus on farther out games than just what's coming this fall? Nintendo is very difficult to predict. 3DS isn't dead. I'm sure we'll hear them talk during that Nintendo Direct about games coming out on 3DS. We know some of them, but will there be some big surprises? What would you like to see? Will there be a Zelda for 3DS? I mean... Normally, I would say that makes no sense whatsoever, but stranger things have happened. I think they still are bifurcated inside Nintendo and creating stuff for 3DS and creating stuff for Switch. I think you can expect more new colors of Joy-Con controllers, more new Amiibo 
from Nintendo, and hopefully more than just Super Mario Odyssey. I'm really hoping, I'm, you know, every year I hold my breath and cross my fingers for Metroid, but maybe this will be the year. Ubisoft had the full reveal of Far Cry 5 this morning, including several trailers, gameplay footage. We found out that the release date is February 27th, 2018. It's coming out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Notably, not the Switch, which is uh, a bit of a bummer for Switch owners, but also a little surprising because Ubisoft has always been such a big supporter of Nintendo hardware. Maybe this happened to, you know, this game in development for too long, too early. Maybe it's too intense for Switch hardware. Who knows what the reason is. It's a little disappointing. It's not coming for Switch. But we can tell you the Far Cry 5 looks gorgeous. And it's got a pretty provocative setting. We had already talked earlier in the week and last week about Hope County, the fictional Montana town and county that uh, will be the setting for Far Cry 5. But now we know that it's even more political and ripped from the headlines than just its setting. This is a game about a religious cult called Eden's Gate. The main antagonist is the leader of that cult. And much like in previous Far Cry games, you are going to be taking down lots of armed military types. This time it's armed militia that have been built up in this Montana county in support of this religious cult. So you will be uh, recruiting friends from the, the county as well, uh, allies that will assist you. Some are religious. There's a pilot. There is a, uh, a pastor. And uh, there are other characters that will assist you in various ways. The pilot brings up a fact that this Far Cry has gone full GTA. Um, it really does harken back to those Rockstar-type reveal trailers looking at rural America. And it sounds like we're getting vehicles of all kinds, American muscle cars, ATVs, and... Airplanes, helicopters, um, its it really does feel like this Far Cry is going first-person GTA all the way. Um, and I say, as I said, you will be able to recruit characters, this pilot, a preacher, a bartender, and others to help you on your way. They're talking about 360-degree approaches to all the fights in the game. So in previous Far Cry games, you could approach uh, any of the militia strongholds from any direction you want. That's that 360-degree approach idea. But they're trying to do that throughout the entire game instead of just in specific attacks. So you can go at the open world from any direction you choose. Um, very curious to see how that plays out in reality and what that means for the gameplay. The other big factions, uh, reveals of the, uh, of the announcement this morning are that you can select a, a gender for your character, a skin tone for your character, so you're not playing as a specific person uh, in the Far Cry universe as you have in previous games. And you can also get pets. You can, you can uh, have a dog that you will be able to train to go out and rip out the throats of enemies and bring their guns back, as, you know, as every dog does in the real world. Uh, and evidently, there will be other kinds of animals that you can train and uh, be friends with as well throughout the course of the game. 
I'm very curious to see the reaction to this setting and this sort of politically charged plot that the, the, the game seems to be revolving around. Setting it in America, in Montana, and doing it with these kinds of themes, I think is going to be a, it's a pretty bold move. And I hope that the game doesn't feel exploitive of that stuff, it, that it does feel like uh, it's really interesting and challenging to the player. We've seen, you know, the previous Mafia game do something similar uh, of setting something in, in deep America and, and trying to deal with racial themes and political themes. And I'm really glad that video games are being a little more courageous in, in the kinds of things they're taking on. I just hope that Far Cry, which, be, to be honest, hasn't had a great track record of being you know, nuanced with this kind of thing, uh, does a good job. We'll find out more at E3 as, uh, as Ubisoft shows more gameplay footage. But I'd love to hear what you guys think. Send me a call in or send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata. Let me know. Are you excited for Far Cry 5? Has what they've shown, what they've shown uh, sparked your interest or made you a little worried? We've been getting you excited for E3 all week long, talking about the major publishers and what we know that they're bringing to the show and what we're hoping they're bringing to the show. EA is what we'll focus on this week. EA, again, will not have a show presence. They are doing their own thing, show adjacent, just like they did last year. They're doing EA Live at the Nokia Live uh, right next to the convention center in downtown Los Angeles. It's a pretty cool thing that they do. They still have a press conference, and they have uh, a fan event that's open to the public. Anybody can go down and do, and they have a bunch of kiosks open, and they've got a, a bunch of different areas for all their different franchises, and you can stand in line and queue up and play through stuff. It worked out pretty well last year, and uh, they're going to repeat that this year. So what are they bringing? Well, we know we've got all of the EA Sports franchises get their next iteration. We got Madden, we got FIFA, we got NHL and NBA. Those games, I think, will be solid. We will see what the next version has to offer. Upgrades in graphics, upgrades in, in performance. Probably more story modes. It sounds like EA is doubling down on story modes in their sports franchises, and I think that's a positive thing. Will we see some VR in sports games? I can tell you that my love for VR Sports Challenge on Oculus makes me very excited for the potential of a VR Madden game or a VR NHL game. Boy, I think that would be really cool. Will this be the year that PlayStation VR and EA team up and, and do something like that? Certainly they had a lot of success with uh, the Battlefront VR mission, the X-Wing VR mission on Battlefront. Speaking of Battlefront, Battlefront 2 is going to be a major game that EA shows at this E3. We will know more about the single-player campaign, which we've just had a little tease about, playing one of the Imperial soldiers uh, that has to rebuild her team and her life after the destruction of the first Death Star. It's a pretty compelling idea for a campaign, and I'm excited to see more of what that game looks and feels like. Give us gameplay footage. And please, can we have more VR missions? That would be a huge, huge excitement for me, getting more robust VR support from Star Wars Battlefront 2. We also know there's going to be a new Need for Speed that EA is bringing to the event. Need for Speed are always visually impressive, are always super cool games. 
We know that developer Ghost has been working on this Need for Speed since the last one was released. So what will it be? Will it be a more arcadey version of Need for Speed or a more simulation version of Need for Speed? I'm excited to see what Need for Speed has to offer. And what's Criterion doing? Where's my burnout? I want my burnout. It doesn't sound like burnout's happening, but we did see a couple years ago at E3 a very, very early prototype for some sort of extreme racing game with ATVs and all kinds of crazy stuff. Is that game still happening? Will we get an update on that? Are there other Star Wars games that E3, that EA will bring to the table? We know that they have the license, and certainly Battlefront will be front and center. Maybe they don't want to take the focus off of that game that's certainly coming out this year, 2017, and these other Star Wars games will be farther down the line. But could we get some teases for the Amy Hennig Star Wars game? Could be a cool time to show a little teaser for that, get us all excited. BioWare just released Mass Effect Andromeda, and as I've reported on this station, there's been a bit of a shakeup with some of their studios, so it seems rather unlikely that we'll see any new BioWare games at the EA press conference, but there's always a chance of some Dragon Age that that might show itself, might be a little teaser to look forward to, and there's also this big new BioWare IP that they've been working on since 2014. That's going to be a, not a role-playing game. That's going to be much more of a, a always-on action game along the lines of, of The Division. So will we see bits of that at the show? I hope that EA has some surprises. Uh, it sounds like they're really focusing on Need for Speed and Battlefront and their sports franchises. But what would you like to see from EA? You want to see some farther-out stuff to tease and get, get you excited? What are the franchises that EA could bring to the table that would get you amped? I want to see that Criterion game. I want to know what Criterion is working on. And I want more VR. <laughs> but that's the theme of everything that I talk about. More VR! We had a call in from Eric reacting to my Microsoft E3 preview from yesterday and got some interesting perspectives on what he hopes Microsoft brings to the show. Eric from the FP, I'm Microsoft. They're my favorite system right now. While I know there are a lot of fanboys for the other two, I see myself as not tied to one console. I like playing all of them. And Microsoft has always been my favorite for one reason only, online play. And they've done some amazing stuff over the year, how easy it is to do to get your parties together, how good the voice sounds. Compared to Nintendo, which has been codes, so we only talk about them for multiplayer online. They're a couch group. Sony's has always felt very clunky to me and unreliable, and it has gotten a lot better. And I agree with you, Microsoft's going to probably have to pump out some VR here um, to be competitive, and Scorpio does have that tie to Oculus. What if, what if, if all Microsoft games that were already tied to Oculus become available for Scorpio? Think about it. They wouldn't have to do a lot. I'd love to see that, and I agree with you. Crackdown was an amazing game. Thanks for the call in, Eric. I would argue that Microsoft no longer really has the advantage when it comes to online. I think in the Xbox 360 era, I think that was certainly true, but I do think that Sony got their act together, and I think the experience playing online with friends on PlayStation 4 is pretty simple and pretty easy and works very well. 
and I don't think the Xbox One has that advantage anymore. Perhaps there's still some carryover from your friends list. My friends list certainly uh, was built during the Xbox 360 era, but I think so many of my friends have sort of made the transition to PlayStation 4 that it I don't really see them having that strategic advantage with online play anymore. I do think that VR can be a place where Scorpio can set itself apart. PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 4 Pro certainly have the power to make uh, VR a worthwhile experience on the PlayStation platform. PlayStation VR is an awesome experience, but the power of Scorpio rivals what we see with Oculus and Vive on PC, and I think you can really bring a lot of those high-end titles that were just starting to see come out on, on VR platforms. You can bring those to a console. And I, I think you, you were kind of alluding to something that I've been talking about as well. If Microsoft's partnership with Oculus is as strong as it seems to be, we saw the uh, pack-in of the Xbox controller with every Oculus that they sold. If they have, if they solidify that, and if they make Oculus compatible with Xbox One and Xbox One Scorpio, I think you could definitely see a whole bunch of ports of existing software that's already out on Oculus immediately playable on on Xbox One. You could have that Oculus storefront just work on the Xbox One. I think that would be really cool and a powerful play for the VR market where uh, Sony and the PlayStation VR platform are still cobbling together their their killer apps. And there are some, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think there are some amazing PlayStation VR titles uh, available. To dip into the Oculus library uh, in, in complete, in whole, just whole cloth, bring it over, that's a pretty powerful thing. Robo Recall and, uh, and Edge of Nowhere and, and so many of the Oculus exclusive titles, to just have them playable right out of the box on Scorpio, that would be a pretty awesome play and a big announcement, I think. It would make VR instantly accessible to a whole bunch of people, depending, of course, on the price of Scorpio. If Scorpio is six or $700, um, I think you're you're you are entering into that PC high end PC realm, and you know if if you're looking at a a Scorpio bundle with Oculus, I'm a little frightened as to what that would be be costing. I mean, o Oculus has just had a price drop, but if you're looking at four or five hundred dollars for Scorpio, four or five hundred dollars for Oculus, it it doesn't become a mainstream, easily accessible product. We're going to have a lot to find out at the Microsoft pre press conference, and I think, um, I think the onus is on them to really wow everybody. They have certainly the opportunities to do so. I know that uh, the meetings that I have already set up at E3, I know I'm getting at least one unannounced title at Microsoft that I'll be seeing. So we know that they're bringing some interesting stuff to the show. They're bringing some stuff we don't know about to the show. We've heard Phil Spencer talk about how they understand the need is for great software, great games to play. What'll that be? What'll that be? I'm hoping for VR. I'm hoping that Scorpio is as 
impressive as certainly the tech specs lead us to believe that it'll actually be a palpable difference between uh, what we're seeing with Xbox One right now and what that system can do. But who knows? It remains to be seen. We'll certainly be finding out uh, during E3, and you can rest assured I'll be talking about it a lot. I'm going to be doing coverage all day long, every day of E3 on this station. So be sure to favorite this station so you don't miss any of that. As we ramp up, we're going to be, the leaks will be coming hot and heavy. I'll be talking about them here. So don't touch that dial. We've been talking about E3 all week long, getting you amped, getting you excited, stoking up that hype train. And we've been talking about all the major publishers and what we can hope for, what we're looking forward to. I've been loving hearing you guys weigh in with what you're looking forward to. Lastly, this is the last day we'll do this, and we're going to focus on the other two big publishers that have press conferences before the show starts officially, and that is Ubisoft and Bethesda. Let's start with Bethesda. Bethesda is bringing it big, as they have in the last several years, ever since they started their own press conference, which is only two years old at this point. Uh, Bethesda, we know, will have... Fallout 4 VR. They had it last year. They evidently have made great strides with it. People have been talking about how it is really a killer app, a proof of concept for the viability of big, intense games in VR. What if it's a launch title for Scorpio? What if they come out and say, hey, buy Xbox One Scorpio and the VR bundle and and Fallout 4 comes with it? That would be huge. Uh, we know that Todd Howard has spoken out in opposition of Oculus and seems to be firmly in the camp of Vive, which sort of plays against this theory of mine um, <laughs> in the sense that I, I think that Oculus will team with Microsoft to create the hardware if Scorpio has VR at all. So maybe it's not likely, but I would love to see it. Doom VR as well. I mean, they, they showed a bunch of VR stuff last year. We know that they've got Quake Champions in the pipeline, which is that arena shooter bringing back Quake to the masses. Uh, I would be skeptical except the fact that they brought Doom back and they were so successful with it. It's such a phenomenal, phenomenal game. What else could they be showing? It seems too early for a new Elder Scrolls game. They have Elder Scrolls Online, which they're still building and making, so I'm sure we'll get some time with that. But what other properties will Bethesda show? Will there be a new Wolfenstein game? That could be pretty cool. Will there be a new Evil Within game? I didn't really love that first one. It's just not my jam, but a lot of people did. Those are two properties that could have new installments. I suspect we're going to get some new IP from Bethesda, and I'm hoping it's a new role-playing game franchise. Uh, They, of course, knocked those out of the park. I think they have some of the biggest question marks going into E3 because their press conference is set up and we don't know a lot about what they'll have to talk about. So if you're going to do an hour-long press conference, you got to have some cool stuff to talk about. What will it be? I love the fact that they've established the precedent where they announce something and it comes out right away. So maybe we'll see something we haven't even heard about coming out this fall. Ubisoft. Assassin's Creed, right? We know Assassin's Creed. We've heard those leaks that it's called Assassin's Creed Origins, that it's a prequel, that it's set in Egypt. We've actually seen a leaked screenshot. I think it's going to be a lot of Assassin's Creed talk. This is a franchise that took a year off, so they're coming back with a vengeance. 
I hope we're going to see some interesting new systems in the Assassin's Creed franchise that prove that it it can really be a different kind of experience. I'm excited to see where Assassin's Creed goes, and I hope it brings me, somebody that has never really loved that franchise, into the fold. We're also hearing news of a crazy crossover with Nintendo, a Raving Rabbids game that is a role-playing game that has Nintendo characters in it. And the Rabbids dress up like Nintendo characters. Mario, Luigi, Peach, Toad. So expect some big news there, some big discussion of what that is. That's kind of a big deal, right? I've never been a huge Rabbids fan, but the idea of uh, interpollinating with the Nintendo character is pretty darn cool. And Ubisoft has a history of partnering on new hardware with Nintendo, so it, it doesn't seem like that is stopping. There'll probably be a lot of Switch talk at Ubisoft. And then, of course, Far Cry 5, which we're seeing more about, and I'm assuming we're going to have a playable version. It's not a 2017 game, but I think we're going to see a big deal made of Far Cry 5 at the show. Then we've got Rayman for Switch. We've got Steep for Switch. We've got South Park, the Fractured Butthole, which we finally hear is is coming out in October, so I'm sure there'll be a big deal made of that. What else coming from Ubisoft? I suspect we'll see some sort of Tom Clancy, something. Maybe a Splinter Cell. Will there be a Splinter Cell game? A new Splinter Cell game could be super cool. What would you like to see from Ubisoft and Bethesda? Let me know. Send in those call-ins. Time to check in with a call-in now. Tim has sent us an interesting comment about Nintendo at E3. And it's something we hear a lot. Nintendo and third parties. So let's dive into what he has to say. Hey, Jeff, it's Tim. With uh, Nintendo at E3, I just wanted to comment. Um, I think the big question that's going to be needed to be asked at E3, as usually is the case, is what are the third parties going to be doing for the system? Uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Far Cry 5 is pretty much coming to every system except the Switch, which is a bummer. Um, so it kind of makes the ask the question, what can the third parties do, or what are they doing to really help make the Switch go beyond just the Mario's and the Zelda's? Uh, I mean, we all know those games, the first-party games, are always at its best. Breath of the Wild surely confirmed better than I'm sure Mario Odyssey will. But I don't know. I mean, it's the same question that you always got to ask these guys. I mean, can the third parties or will the third parties do something unique enough to justify giving the system the longevity that we would like it to have? So be interesting E3 to find that out there, and I just wanted to share those thoughts. You know, Tim, this is an interesting idea, the idea of Nintendo and third party. It's something we hear all the time, every time Nintendo launches a new console. Will this be the one that gets them third-party support? I'm starting to think that is the wrong question. Of course we all want third-party support for Nintendo. Of course we want more stuff to play. But I think that's the pertinent issue. Is there enough to play on this console? Are there enough reasons to buy a Switch? Certainly sales indicate that Nintendo is having no problem selling Switches. So they don't, I think, need to be worried, at least in the short term, about giving people enough reasons to buy their hardware. They can't keep the thing stocked. But we, as adopters of the hardware, or we as enthusiasts who want to have a reason to use our Switch over and over, are looking for more reasons to own it, are looking for reasons to play on the Switch instead of on other consoles. But I don't think third party has to be the answer. 
I don't think that just because we're not getting Far Cry 5 on Switch, it makes Switch a less valuable proposition. In fact, I would venture to guess that a large population of the people who own Switch is not their primary console. It's not their only console, but it's not their primary console. It's not even the console they game most on. Does Nintendo want to give you the console you game most on? Do they want to give you the console that you are turning to first? Do they want to give you a console that can be your only console? Can You can be a gamer who plays only on that. I don't think they've done that since Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo is the last time Nintendo had a console where you could buy one console and play all of the stuff you want to play. There, of course, there were Genesis exclusives, but... We're in that situation now where people tend to buy either the Sony console or the Microsoft console. There are weirdos like me that buy everything, and I'm sure that a lot of people that listen to this show are among those. Or you know, This is our primary hobby. We want to be playing everything. But for the average consumer, you can buy either a PlayStation or an Xbox and play pretty much the pick of the litter of third-party stuff. I just don't think Nintendo is interested in that anymore. And, and maybe they don't have to be. Maybe what they're looking for is reasons for you to buy their system, and there seem to be big ones. Obviously, it launched with a big one, Zelda, right? And the first party is going to continue to make big reasons for you to buy that console. And I thought, because this was going to be the hybrid that, that bridges the gap between their handheld market and their home console market... I thought they were going to converge all of their first-party development into one console so that you would have more frequent first-party Nintendo reasons to buy their console. I thought they were going to start winding down development of 3DS software and push all of those developers onto Switch so that you could create uh, portable games, smaller portable games that used to be the, the stuff of 3DS software and therefore get more frequent releases. So every time something was going to be released for 3DS, it was coming out on Switch. That's what I thought the strategy was going to be, that Microsoft was going to focus on one piece of hardware and give you more frequent reasons to buy that hardware from them. They didn't have to worry about third party. They didn't have to make sure the Far Cries of the world or the Call of Duties of the world or what have you are on their system because they were going to have more ticks in the calendar year, coming up exclusive to Switch. doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> I, I, I seem to have been wrong on that count because the 3DS continues to be pushed. Maybe eventually that will happen. Maybe a year or so down the line we will see the 3DS phased out. But so far, it seems to be that, that they're keeping these two systems in parallel to one another. But I am not convinced that Nintendo sees the Switch as the place for you to play the big third-party titles. I don't necessarily think they want the big EA games on Switch. I mean, of course they want them. Of course they're not going to say no. But I don't think that they make that a priority. And I don't think they have for a while. And I think that that's okay. And I think ultimately what they've realized is the compelling gameplay loop has to come from them. And that's why the Wii worked, because it was interesting and different and unique. And that's why the Switch seems to be working, because it's interesting, different, and unique. Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see more at E3.